Thank you, Linda. It was a very brief reading. Uh, at this rate, uh, we will finish Luke <laughs> in April 2023. So says Google. So, uh, it's great to be together. It's great to be starting a new series together. Uh, but I thought before we get into it, uh, I'd like to ask a few questions uh, for you to perhaps chat with the person next to you. So they'll come up on the screen. So for those of you who are Christians, uh, why do you trust the accounts of Jesus's life? And perhaps if you're a little more sceptical or not so sure, or you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, uh, what makes it difficult for you to trust the accounts of Jesus's life? So you can choose one or the other, but uh, with the person next to you, uh, just chat for one minute. What either gives you confidence or makes you a sceptic? Go. Let's uh, come back together. Sorry to interrupt a perfectly good conversation. Uh, really don't need me at all. You can just continue chatting amongst yourselves. Uh, is anyone willing, you have to have a, a relatively big voice, is anyone willing to share uh, one thing that helps them trust the accounts of Jesus' life? Okay. Yep, so there's lots of attempts to disprove it, uh, but it's always stood up to that sort of criticism and the scrutiny. Yep, fantastic. Yeah. It works. Yep. Yep, and it, wor- it makes life better. It works when we listen to God's word. Uh, would it, yes, Helen. It features other accounts, both other accounts within, within the Bible, but also other secular accounts that we have of the time. The time zones fit, the scriptures and the whatever else fit. Yep, so it fits the history of other events, the archaeology of, 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 of the ancient world, you know, all those sorts of things. Yep, so it's consistent from beginning to end. Uh, it's not always easy, but you can see one big story working its way through history. Yeah, for someone who's uh, more sceptical or, or you perhaps have some real struggles, and it's okay to have struggles, uh, is anyone willing to share perhaps something why uh, they find it difficult to trust? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It's a wonderful testimony. Thank you. Really appreciate it. So, and can I say, I think for most Christians at some point in life, we are going to have struggles and we're going to have doubts. Uh, and can I say, can I encourage you to work through those rather than being consumed by them? Uh, but with that in mind, uh, let's pray together and see what Luke has to say. Uh, Dear Lord, we do thank you that we can gather uh, together as your people, uh, that we can listen to your word. Uh, I pray that I will uh, proclaim it faithfully today, uh, and I pray that through your spirit uh, that you will convict us of what is true. Amen. I titled this sermon, A Certain Faith, uh, which for some people uh, might feel like a contradiction in terms, because in any given situation, you are either certain or you need faith, but you don't need both. Uh, And I think that's probably technically true, but practically in life, in almost every situation, we require some faith. And so this morning you came in and just very cavalierly, you sat down in your chair. Uh, You didn't test the chair uh, to see if it would hold you. No one crawled underneath the chair. Uh, to see if it had, you know, industry standard welding. Uh, you just plonked yourself down there and trusted and had faith that it would hold you. Uh, so you had faith, but it wasn't blind faith. And today as we start this new series in Luke, uh, we're going to see that we have good reason to trust his retelling of the events of Jesus' life. So as he talks about Jesus, what he did, what he said, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, we have good reason to believe that that's true. And it's important, isn't it? Because if you are a Christian, then you have staked your hope for this life and for the next on the facts of Jesus' life. Every day you are making decisions that are based on that faith. So the way that you approach relationships, the way you use your time, the way you view right and wrong, the way you spend your money, they're all shaped on your faith. And if you're not a Christian, 
then there's a lot at stake here as well. Because if what Luke is saying is true, if God really did create everyone, and if God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sin, and if God calls everyone to turn back to him, then that's an important message. That's a message that has both positive and negative consequences. And so we need to listen to the facts. Is this really a true account? Uh, A number of years ago, uh, a guy called Dan Brown uh, wrote a book called The Da Vinci Code. Uh, A few years later, it got made into a major movie with uh, Tom Hanks. And the whole premise of the movie is that the story of Jesus is really a conspiracy of the church. And so, according to the story, uh, the Christians wanted to make themselves more appealing to the pagan world around them, and it wasn't enough just to have Jesus as a prophet. We needed Jesus as a God. And so, what happened is there was really a man called Jesus, but uh, the church hijacked that original message and created something that allowed them to you know, control the society around them. So according to the story, Jesus was actually married to Mary Magdalene and after he was crucified on the cross, uh, she escaped to Europe and had his child. And as the story went, that this was all part of a conspiracy of the church and the Renaissance painters knew the truth and it was hidden in the great masterpieces of the world. And so, in, in one sense, it's, it's a wonderful, compelling tale. But actually, people believed him. So it didn't matter that Christian historians, secular historians, all came out and ridiculed the claims. For some people, it really shook their faith. And so for some Christians, this was a, a real faith crisis moment. And for other people who are more sceptical... This, this sort of story hardened their faith against Christianity. They already didn't like the message and this was kind of proof that really following Jesus was all about superstition and was all about the power of the church. Now the Da Vinci Code's kind of come and gone. Uh, you know, it's still out there but it doesn't have the same influence that it did. But there'll always be something else, won't there? Yeah, it'll be another book, it'll be another TV series, it'll be an article in the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, It might be uh, when you're at school that it comes up in your history classes about Roman history or the Crusades uh, or medieval history. But there are always going to be times when people challenge our faith. And perhaps most challenging, it comes up in our conversations, doesn't it, with the people around us, with friends and uh, family who, who look at Christianity and think, you know what, you are just following an ancient superstition. And so as Christians, we need to be ready to give an answer for the faith that we have. And we should be confident in our faith because it's grounded in history. So let me begin by giving some background to our book of Luke. We know from the letter of Colossians written by Paul uh, that Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. 
Uh, we also know that he wrote two books. So he wrote the book of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts because the beginning of Acts starts with, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And we also know from within the book of Acts that he was a travelling companion with Paul. And so that included travelling up to Jerusalem where he spent time with the apostles, so the very first Christians, and the early disciples. And so Luke was not an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. But he was exceptionally well placed to retell the events of Jesus' life. So he was retelling events that he had heard from those who are eyewitnesses who shared life with Jesus. But the book of Luke is more than just a retelling of history because Luke wants to persuade us of the message. So Luke starts by saying, he's telling us about the things that have been fulfilled amongst us. So what has happened in the life of Jesus is what was foretold in the Old Testament. And now it's all coming to pass. And he wants to persuade us that Jesus really is the Son of God who came to seek and to save the lost. And so with that background in mind, let's have a look at what the passage says. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled amongst us. Many have taken the opportunity to write an account. What Luke is writing is not unique to his imagination. It's not a secret knowledge that no one else can verify. He says, when I'm retelling these events, I'm simply retelling what others have already written about. There are no secrets here. You can look at my account, you can look at other accounts and you will hear the same history. Now we don't know what those other accounts were. Uh, We do know that out of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, that three of them knew about each other. And so not only do they retell similar events, but they use exactly the same words often, not always. Uh, And technically, if you want some sort of technical language, they're called synoptic gospels because they work together to tell a a similar retelling of events. Uh, So we know that they work together or they might have all been written connected to another account that was written down even earlier still. But the source of Luke's material is what's most important. So just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So it's coming from those people who literally shared life with Jesus. So it's not just, you know, the person who was out in the desert one day, you know, and spent half a day listening to Jesus. These are people who shared years with Jesus, listening to him, traveling with him, uh, all the way to the point of his death and resurrection. And so uh, in the early church, uh, if you remember the story, uh, Jesus originally chose 12 uh, apostles, those 12 closest disciples. And out of those 12, one was called Judas, and Judas ended up betraying Jesus. 
and handing him over to uh, the Jewish authorities and then the Roman authorities. And as a result, he was so overwhelmed with grief and remorse for what he did uh, that he went and killed himself. And then after that, they chose another person to take his place. And so when Peter is choosing who will take his place, this is what he says. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time that the Lord Jesus was living amongst us, being from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. That's quite a standard, isn't it, of witness? Uh, It's not just someone who saw a little bit as someone who shared all of life. And when you look at the Apostle John, and he describes his experience uh, in 1 John, this is what he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So these are people who are well placed to know. But not only are they witnesses, Luke describes them as servants of the word. And the word servant here is quite particular because it's the same word used to describe the keepers of the scrolls in a synagogue, in a Jewish church. And so Luke's describing these people as the keepers of the word of God. And so not only are they retelling the events but actually God is inspiring them to recall and retell events the way they actually happened. And so after all of this time, all of these accounts and these eyewitnesses, Luke then goes and puts together his account of what happened. And most likely he wrote it about 30 to 40 years after Jesus was crucified on the cross. And I think for some people, when you hear 30 or 40 years, you think, wow, that's actually quite a long time. Like, I'm struggling to remember what I did last year, you know, let alone 40 years ago. Uh, You know, like that is real, you know, perhaps they've, they've muddled up the story over time. But we've got to remember that this isn't the first time they're retelling the story. That from the time Jesus left them, They've been retelling these events over and over again to anyone who would listen. And as Luke reads other accounts, he can read them in the context of the eyewitnesses who he knew. So if the validity of the account is the time between when it was written and when events happened, then we can have a good trust and a good faith that those records have the capacity to be accurate. doesn't guarantee it, but we have good reason to believe they would be. I think for some sceptics, uh, they feel that perhaps, uh, you know, something's written 2,000 years ago, then surely you can't trust it now. You know, 2,000 years is a long time. But I think, again, we've got to remember that the Old Testament writers are as committed to history as modern writers. They took history seriously. They didn't just write legend as if it was history. 
So there was one uh, first century historian, his name was Flavius Josephus. Flavius has gone out of fashion a little bit lately, but you know, if you're having kids in the future, just putting it out there, it's a good option. But Flavius Josephus was a first century Jewish historian. And this is what he says about his process in writing history. So this is roughly the same time as Luke. At last, I committed to writing my narrative of events. It is the duty of the one who promises to present his readers with actual facts, first to obtain an exact knowledge of them himself, either by having been in close touch with the events or by inquiry from those who know them. And that's exactly what Luke does. Verse 3, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. I think for other people, they think the Bible is kind of like the story and the legend of King Arthur. You know, there probably was a king and his name was Arthur, but everything after that has just been, you know, centuries of embellishment until finally we ended up with, you know, a a sword stuck in a stone. And so perhaps, you know, like Dan Brown says, you know, the story of Jesus is just an embellishment of the original story. So Jesus started off as just a man, and then someone thought, well, we need to give him a a little bit more cred, so we'll add some miracles, you know, to show that he's someone from God. Uh, next thing you know, someone adds that not only does he do miracles, but he rose again from the dead. And then by the time we're finished, we end up with Jesus not just being a man, but a God. And as motivations go, the idea was that it's a conspiracy of the early church as the means of retaining power. Now, there is no doubt that the medieval church was profoundly corrupt. And they certainly would have been willing to write anything that would help their case and keep power. That is certainly possible. But the New Testament manuscripts are old and there are literally thousands of them. So as the early, as the Bible came together, there were literally thousands of versions of the New Testament and the Old Testament out there. Some of them were whole versions, some of them were bits and pieces, some of them were just tiny scraps as they get older. But when all of these versions are consistently saying the same thing, then we can have confidence about where they came from. Now, they're not all identical, so there are variations in different versions, but overwhelmingly, the words are consistent, and even more significantly... The meaning is significant. The message is significant. I think further still, for those who like history, I'm probably getting into a bit much detail here, but for those who like history, by the end of the second century, uh, early Christians were describing the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, as the four authoritative scriptures of the Bible. So people often say it didn't happen until Constantine, until about the third century. But even in the earliest church, we have people acknowledging that the book of Luke was really part of Scripture inspired by God. 
Now, none of this guarantees that Luke is a true account. But we can't simply dismiss it because it is old. And we can't simply dismiss it because we feel it's the stuff of legend. You might still conclude uh, that Luke is lying. That Luke and the other disciples intentionally misled us to create a new religion either as a rebellion against the Jewish culture or the Roman culture, that they were committed to creating a new religion and call it Christianity. Uh, Or option B, uh, same outcome but a little less malicious. Uh, They genuinely believed what they were writing, but it was really just the collection of self-reinforced delusion. They believed Jesus was the Son of God. They were just profoundly wrong. So all of those options are possible. But again, we need to decide whether they are probable. Is that reasonable? I think for some this morning, all of this talk about witnesses and other accounts might end up being a little bit unsettling because you think, well, wait up, where does the inspiration of Scripture fit into all of this? If this is God's word, if God is the one speaking, why do we need other accounts or other sources? But the Bible writers never tell us that they were simply scribes, that God spoke his word word for word and that they then wrote it down word for word. Uh, If you're talking about Islam, uh, certainly that's their heritage, uh, that Muhammad received the Quran word for word. Uh, For the Mormons, uh, God sent uh, the word uh, on golden tablets and there were golden spectacles to go with it. Uh, But as Christians, we believe that God uses the individual personalities of the writers and that they are writing in a particular context and they have a particular emphasis. So Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are consistent but they have different points of emphasis at different times. And so we believe that God inspires his people and God includes his people in writing his word. And that's actually been his consistent message throughout history, that God works through his creation and with his creation to fulfill his plans for his world. And so at some point we do have to have faith. We do have to have faith that what is written is a true account of what God wants us to hear. But again, it's not blind faith. So for Luke and for the eyewitnesses, not only are they listening to what Jesus has to say, but he's backing up what he says by doing things which are completely miraculous. So he says big things, but he backs them up with authority. And so again, we've got to decide, is this genuinely true? But God is speaking to us through history, through reason, in a way that we can understand. We can actually verify this using a reasoned method, looking at history. And why does he do it? Verse 4, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. 
there are lots of different ways to approach truth. Uh, for some people, it's pragmatic. It's true if it works. And so you look at the Bible and you see how the Bible calls us to live and you can see the wisdom in it and it makes sense of the world and so you conclude it must be true. And that's perfectly valid. Uh, others uh, would say, I know something is true because I'm deeply convicted of it. So God's Holy Spirit has convinced me that it is true. And so I do not doubt it. And if that's you this morning, then you're probably thinking all this talk about facts and history is a little bit dull. Because this is all just trying to prove something that you know is already self-evidently true. You don't need more facts to prove what you already know. For others, however, we work out truth with reason. And if that's you, then you're in good company. So you're with Luke, you're with Theophilus, you're with Thomas, who was the apostle in the upper room. And this is what he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. But we also know that faith is more than just facts. There's lots of people who knew the facts of Jesus' life. There were people who literally stood and watched Jesus do miracles in front of them and still did not believe. Later in Luke, uh, this is uh, listen to what Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazan! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. So yes, we do have good reason for our faith. But reason alone is not enough. We need God to convict us of what is true. And even more significantly, we need God to bend our desire away from living for ourselves and towards him, to recognising that he is God, that he calls us into a relationship with him, that we need to repent and believe and obey. And that is not just going to happen with head alone. We need to pray that God convicts us that that is true. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, then I really hope that I've provided a compelling, albeit brief, reason to have faith in the Bible and in Luke. But can I encourage you, even if you are not sure that God is there, to pray that God convicts you that it is true. And for those of us here today who are Christians then I hope today gives us some confidence that our faith is a certain faith, that it is grounded in history, and that that will give us an openness as we read the rest of Luke to listen to what Jesus has to say. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you for the book of Luke. We thank you uh, that it is not just the account of one person, 
but retelling the events of the life of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you will speak to us through the book of Luke, uh, that we will understand and know you better. Uh, Lord, I pray for those here today who perhaps are sceptical uh, about whether your word is true uh, or perhaps are Christians but really struggling with it. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'll help them find the answers they need, uh, but more significantly that you will convince them by your Holy Spirit of what is true. Amen.